Welcome to Cannonball. Is this not the weirdest church you've ever been a part of? That was awesome. I loved it. Listen, I know uh, some of you are anticipating maybe getting baptized today. Some of you are riding the fence, okay? Every once in a while, you just got to go, God, what do you want me to do? And then look outside and realize it's 60 degrees in November. God's saying, here's your sign, okay? Here's your sign. You need to get baptized. Like I said, 80 people last night, a lot more than we thought. We didn't set up the extra tub because we didn't think there were going to be that many. We will baptize until the cows come home. This piece of paper that I'm holding is a piece of paper from one of our saint members here that's been a member of this church. I've told you this church has been around for 60 years. She got baptized at this church in August, on August 19th, 1956. This is a copy of her baptismal certificate. I want this, I mean, imagine what a life, imagine what 55 years after this has been like for Annette Canale. I want this to happen in your life, and I hope that you will do it today. We're doing cannonball. It's cannonball time. What is a cannonball? Let me show you a picture. This is the world cannonball champion, Brian Utley. He's a science teacher from Canada. He is the world champion cannonballer. I don't know how you even judge that, but that's who that is right there. It's called jumping in and making waves, making a big splash all in together, okay? Because we know that the next 10 years here is not only about making a splash now, it's about making waves that are going to go way, way out and go as far as the ends of the earth for the next... 5, 10, 15 years. And I know some of you are brand new to this. Some of you just walked in, you're visiting, you're like, well, what's going on? Hey, it, it just, just know you're in a family discussion today and we're glad you're here. We want you to hear a part of the vision. Uh, some of you have been around for a while and, uh, you know, some of you have been on this diving board with me before. And uh, I want to tell you something. This is the highest dive we've ever taken for two reasons. Okay. Number one, we're a big church now. So you can just blend in here if you want to and, you know, sit on your pomegranates if you want to and not get involved and not give and not do anything. If you want to, nobody's really going to know. You know, in a small church, you can't do that. But in a big church, you can just kind of blend in. The second reason is, and I don't know if you've heard this, but the economy's not necessarily all that great. Um, so here we are trying to do this crazy thing with all this stuff going on. And, and listen to me, if you don't want to jump in with us on this, if you don't want to go off the high dive with us and make a splash and do a cannonball, that's okay. But I hope that what you're learning through this whole process is that you can trust God. I hope that you can figure that out. Cannonball for us is a two-year initiative here at Parkview where we're trying to raise $29.6 million over the next two years to accelerate the mission of our church at a very, very critical time in our church's history, okay? And it's different than we've ever done before. Those of you who've been around to these kinds of things before, you usually get to a, a fundraising initiative of some kind of generosity initiative, and it's like over and above, okay? We give, give your regular thing and do over and above. And we've decided this time that doesn't make any sense because there is no over and above. There is no mission over here and mission over here. It's all one big mission. So we're doing uh, we're doing a one-fund situation. What does that mean for us? Well, half of what it, this $29.6 million is basically our general budget. It's the stuff that needs to continue to happen here, like the children's ministry and the students' ministry and our small groups and our discipleship and our creative arts and the things that we do that help our people to grow. Because we're not just here to save people from hell. We want to raise fully devoted followers. Okay, reach and then we raise and then we release. That's what we're about. So about half of that is going to go to those things that we would already have been doing. In addition to that, because of this cannonball, we're going to be able to add another service at our Lockport campus and tech and staff. We're going to be able to add another campus. Lockport runs 450 to 500 people a weekend now. And it's an amazing thing that's going on in a whole other region. And now we're going to do that someplace else. and We don't even know where. 
We're going to be able to do more mission work, like start a safe house for girls in uh, Chicagoland who are caught in the sex trafficking slave trade. Um, We're going to be able to start churches all over the world as a part of our 2020 vision. We're going to add land out here again and add parking out here again because we need to do that. We're going to do a needed tech upgrade in here because about every five years, it's just buildings five years old. You need to do some of that stuff. We're going to add a foyer over on this side. There's a picture of the foyer where it's going to go over on that side so that we've got more room for uh, people to mill around and to be ready for the addition that we're going to do over here. Uh, There's going to be a second floor chapel up on top of that. And uh, it's going to be a 250-seat chapel with wood beam ceilings and, and the stained glass and everything. I mean, it's going to look just, just exactly like the kind of place that you want to do the Marion and Barion. Okay, we need a place to do that. Uh, and then if we, uh, that, that's, what, that's what we call it here, you know, I don't, I don't know. That's the only time you see me in a, in a suit, okay? You, you pretty, I, I was here Thursday to, to bury Ina Bell, you know, do her funeral, and people were like, ooh, what's up? I'm like, dude, nobody gets married on Thursday morning. What do you think's up, okay? It's a funeral. Um, there's an auditorium going to be over here. We want to add to our auditorium. We want to add it up to 40% more seating. Uh, if you take a look around, you can see uh, that there's not, there's not a whole lot of room for a whole lot of other people, even in the 9 o'clock service here. And there's the, 15, at the, at the 11 o'clock service last week, we had 1,500 people in here. There wasn't room for anybody. And we've added 250 seats, okay? Uh, so get that. Our 2020 vision is we want to have five campuses and 20 National church plants and 100 international church plants by the year 2020. Okay? Because Jesus told us to go into Jerusalem, and that's, this is, that's our area, that's our five, and go to Judea and Samaria, that's the nation, and we're going to, t- 20 churches there, we just started one in Ventura, it's going great, and we're going to do 100 international churches, like Ireland and Indonesia, and all those kinds of things, we're going to do that, okay? As I've laid this out, we've been listening to you, we've had focus groups, and we've said, okay, what do you think? And here's what's happened. There are some of you that think we shouldn't build anything and add anything on at any of our campuses because there are people out there that need drinking water and, they, and they're poor and we should just give our money to them. And then there are other people that say, well, why are we giving our money away to someplace to Ireland when we've got so much need right here and so many people that need Jesus right here? Which leads me to the conclusion that I don't listen to you people, Okay. Because you're schizophrenic, so I don't even know why I ask, okay? Here's the answer for us. The answer for us is the tithe. In the Old Testament, God commanded the people. He said the tithe is holy to the Lord. You keep the, you keep the tithe back and you do that so that you are able to take care of the storehouse and take care of the things that need to happen uh, in the temple. And that's what the tithe was for. It was holy to the Lord. We at Parkview believe in a tithe, and I believe in a tithe as a, as a human being, as a Christian. But we also believe in it as a church. Jesus told us plainly not to neglect the tithe, and there's something about that. So basically with missions, what we decided to do is to take 10% of everything that comes in and make sure that that goes out somewhere far away, in the Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world area. Some place where it doesn't, it's not our, our mission field right here, it goes out there. So with the extra money that's going to come in from Cannonball, extra million and a half dollar tithe, 
uh, that's going to be able to happen. That's what we're going to use to start the safe house. That's what we'll use for uh, churches in Cuba. That's what we'll use for the church in Ireland. That's what we'll use for those other things. As a part of the regular tithe uh, that would have been there in the general fund, we will continue to work in Africa. We will continue to work in Indonesia in all the places where we work. Okay. So yes, we could give more. We could give less to outside missions, but we believe in tithing. We believe in mission work, and we think that's important. And yes, we could do more, but our own mission field is great. Here is why I believe our mission field is great. Here's our growth chart for the last 21 years. Okay. Uh, as you can tell, we are one of the hundred fastest growing churches in the country. We, we were actually on that list six out of the last eight years. That's what's going on. Okay. We're pregnant. That's basically what I'm telling you. We're good Catholic pregnant. Okay. I mean, we're like 19 kids and counting pregnant. Since the last time we stood on the diving board and did a capital campaign and tried to raise funds, which was in 2008, we have grown 54%. 54%. Raise your hand if you've come since the beginning of 2008. Okay, look around. Now, between now and 2014, do we have room for that many more people? No, of course we don't. If we grow by another 54% by the, by the year 2014, we're going to have to have 3,000 more seats somewhere around here. And there's not 3,000 more seats in here. There's not, there's not 300 more seats in here. Do you see what I'm saying? We have to be planning for the future, so that's what we're doing, okay? You may not feel like you need to, to, to build sometimes if you come on Saturday night, but listen to me. Last week at Orland, we had a 1,500 people in here. There was no way that we're going to be able to grow, and that's the way it's going to be. So we've got to look ahead. Uh, one fun. What does that mean personally? All in means if you're already a giver at Parkview, Cannonball is, a, is an opportunity for you to take what you're already giving and add a faith pledge to that. And you just put one number down uh, on your card. I mean, that's what you do. It's just one number. How am I going to grow and sacrifice? Here's what I did give. Here's what I'm going to give and put that all together. It all goes into one fund. It's great. What that really does, though, is it helps for those of you who haven't been really connected to Parkview. You haven't been given. You haven't been a part of this whole scenario. And you've just been a, kind of been out on the side. For, for you, what that means is you're going to be able to go, okay, look, this time I'm going to think about my giving. I'm going to plan my giving. I'm going to set that up ahead of time. And, I, and, and I'm going to have some faith that God's going to do some things in my life and in my economy to make this happen. And I'm going to be able to challenge myself to put a number down as a cannonball commitment. And we're really hoping that we can get every involved in this. Okay. Uh, there are some of you in this room that are going to be able to do a large gift. I mean, I've said this uh, multiple times along the way. We're not looking for one person to drop a $10 million check and all the rest of us go, Ooh, way to go. Brian Utley, nice cannonball. And we all sit back and watch. We want everybody to get involved. What I failed to tell you is that God will take your $10 million check, okay? If you're sitting out there and you know you can make a six-figure gift or a seven-figure gift and you know God is asking you to do that, there is not a better place you could invest your money than right here. Look around. Look at what's going on. This is where I believe God could use it, okay? And you're not going to take it with you. I love the story of the guy who told his wife, you know what, honey? When I die, I want you to take this bag of money and hang it in the attic, and then when my spirit leaves, when my soul leaves the body, I'm going to swing by the attic and pick it up and take it on my way to heaven. She said, okay, whatever. So sure enough, he dies. She ties the money up in the attic. She goes to the funeral. She comes home. She checks the attic. She goes, eh, sure enough, old fool. I knew I should have put it in the basement. Wait for it. There it is. Yeah. Like... The part that had their coffee this morning, they like they got it right away. And then the other half were like, oh, I should have had coffee. 
You're not going to take it with you, okay? So we got to invest it. Listen to me. Could you just imagine, those of you who have invested in the stock market, you invested in real estate in the last several years, what if you had all that money that you've lost and you gave it tax-free to the kingdom of God? Wouldn't that have been wonderful? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you feel good about that right now instead of the fact that it's just gone? Commitment weekend is November 19th and 20th. That's when our cannonballs are going to happen. I want to pack the place. I want there to be a riot. I want police to be called in, helicopters, because I want people, I want people excited to be here. Even if you're not going to jump in and be a part of it, I want, I want you to be here and be a part of it. That's the weekend before Thanksgiving. Yes, we planned it that way. Pretty, pretty easy place for us to go. You know what, God? We are really, really thankful. So we're going to jump in and we're going to make a big splash. And we're going to continue to be what I believe Parkview is, a, 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 a church that's like the book of Acts. Not some sleepy little church that sits on the corner and doesn't affect anything, but a church that has power. When, when Jesus said, when power comes from on high, I'm telling you, it was going on here last night, 80 people getting baptized. When power come, came upon the first church, they just blew up. They started, they started doing crazy stuff. They turned the world upside down. They started taking care of the poor. They had compassion on the lost. They had, they had hope for the hurting. They had kids' ministry. They had a, a message that changed people's life. And it, they blew the place up. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And I hope that you want to be a part of it with me. Wait, wait, hang on. Oh, I've just been handed an important message. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Why are you clapping? You don't know. That's, that's wrong. It's just wrong. I have two deeply held convictions. Number one is that you can't outgive God. Okay? I know that. I'm going to tell you some personal stuff today. Um, that's part of my deal today. Okay? I figured up this week, and rough estimate, low rough estimate, I would figure that over the past 21 years, uh, as a pastor here working for this church, most of those years when it was small, with my wife working part-time for this church, we've given over $300,000 to the Lord's work here. I just figured it up. You know, every once in a while, it's kind of good to go back and look. You know, and what, what's the first thing that happens when you do that? Well, first thing that happens is you go, dang, what could I do with $300,000, right? You know, I mean, that's the first thing. And then, 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 then after the devil gets off your shoulder, you start listening to this thing on the other side, and you go, you know what? I wouldn't trade all that money for... Uh, anything possibly else that I could have in this world because I have so much more than $300,000 worth of blessings. My life hasn't been perfect, but I have the blessing of God and I have all the resources that I need because Paul guaranteed me that. I've believed this all in my life. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will reap generously and you will be made rich in every way. And I am. I am rich in every way so that I can be generous on every occasion. That's me. You could put my picture right next to that verse in 2 Corinthians 9 if you wanted to. That would be the picture. That's how I feel, okay? Blessings on steroids. That's how I feel. Um, and, and if you're wondering why I did that, because I work out at Body Tech. Anybody go to Body Tech in here? And, and I just they put all the bodybuilders' pictures up on the walls, and I feel inadequate sometimes. So... So someday, don't tell Steve about this, but someday I'm going to sneak in. I'm going to put that picture up there on the wall and see if anybody notices that. That's, that's what I'm doing. My, my second th- theological conviction is, number one, that I cannot give God. My second one is that we're supposed to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. We're supposed to bring heaven to earth 
and earth to heaven. Okay. Last week we gave away uh, money to single moms and dads, single parents who have kids at homes. We gave them a gift. We just blessed them in the middle of doing all this because that's what we're supposed to be about. And James said pure religion is taking care of those who don't have anybody to take care of them. So we gave that away. And if you are a single mom or dad with kids at home and you weren't here last week, I want you to go over to that wall that we're hopefully going to knock down one of these days. And, I, and they're going to be somebody at the end of the service over there. We're going to have more. We have more to be able to give you if you weren't here last week. We We want to bless you. We want to pray for you because that's what the church is supposed to be about. In case you wonder what I think about bringing heaven to earth, by that I mean taking care of the poor and world missions and those things. All you have to know is that two of my three daughters are currently in college getting degrees so that they can go do mission work. Okay, That, that should be really all you need to know. My youngest daughter was in Tijuana, Mexico yesterday, which is very unsafe. She was in Tijuana yesterday at an orphanage going back and forth from her college in L.A. My youngest daughter, I'm leaving on an airplane at 2 o'clock this afternoon to go down and see in Cochabamba, Bolivia, where she is down there uh, helping rescue street girls. And if you want to know how I feel about it, you should, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. If I didn't care about world missions in the poor, my kids wouldn't care about world missions in the poor. And if I'm stupid, enough to let my beautiful daughters go to these crazy dangerous places and do mission work, then you know how much I believe in it. And I want to share one little story that Lauren wrote on her blog a couple of weeks ago about being in Bolivia. She said, I'm not a mom. I have had mom-like feelings for certain people in my life. And whether it's the beautiful kids in Guatemala or the beautiful gringos I babysit for in Wheaton or the girls at my house right now in Bolivia, I can't even start to imagine what sending any of them away because I couldn't take care of them would feel like especially if I didn't know if I would ever see him again. And yet that is what her mom did, talking about a 15-year-old girl that's at the house that she's working with. This girl was 12. Her mom and dad couldn't feed her, so they sent her off to go work. I had no idea to do what. Later, this mom and dad would ask about their daughter, and they would find out that she was missing. And after a year, they would assume that she was dead. And after three years, they would be contacted by the girl's home in the big city, us, to find out that she was indeed alive and that her previous employer was in jail for what he did to her. On a Saturday in October, I, this gringa, she calls herself, this white girl from Chicago, will get up early to leave with this daughter and a supervisor and a van full of food to try to go to the jungle and find this family after three years. On this day, this gringa would see what poor looks like. She would meet a mom without much affection, with a lot of fear, who stared into her child's face only to offer a hello after three years. She would see a younger brother with a face aged by the stress of hunger, and she would see him asking his sister to take him with her. She would see a two-year-old boy who was so cold and hungry he could only stare instead of cry. She would see him void of something. She would look away, afraid to find out. She would see the two brick rooms, each seven feet by three feet, where 11 people sleep with nothing more than the clothes on their backs. She would see a 16-year-old shepherd girl, the sister, with her own baby tied on her back. And then this gringa, I would see this mom of eight begin to cry and hug her daughter when she said goodbye. And I cried too because I knew that something had gone terribly wrong. This couple would be left with food sufficient for a time and their daughter would be relieved that she would not stay there. And I would look back as they left and wonder what it feels like to be a mom who can't provide. And the daughter would take my hand and hold it tightly as we walk back to the van. That's why we have to bring heaven to earth.
That's why I keep showing you this picture of the kids outside the gates of the school that we built in Nairobi, Africa, that if we cannonball, we can knock the gates down and we can build onto the school and more kids can come. Because when Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, He didn't mean for us just to ask God to do it. He meant for us to partner with God while we do it. Because Jesus said, when you pray about forgiveness, uh, Father, forgive me, right? of my trespasses, and I will forgive those who trespass against me. Give me this day my daily bread, and I'm going to go bake some. Lead me not into temptation, and I'm not going to go into temptation. It's a partnership with the gospel. That's how it's supposed to work. Paul said in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless somebody preaches to them? It's a partnership. And God put us here in this point. If you haven't seen my graph yet, I'm showing it every week. This is the world population. The seven billionth baby was born somewhere on the planet this week. You understand the implications of that? When I was born, there were a little over three billion. I said million. Billion. The seven billionth baby. There were three billion people on the planet when I was born 50 years ago. That's where we live now. We're in that yellow spot. We have a responsibility. Our theme story around here from Jesus is the prodigal son. If you don't know that story, the son took his dad's inheritance, went off and wasted it in wild living, got to the lowest part of his life and decided he'd try to come back home and be a slave for his father. And when he came back home, what did he find? He found God. This is Jesus' picture of God. He found God who was waiting with open arms and didn't even let him ask for an apology. He just said, come on home. I'm glad you're here. And he threw him a big party and put the ring on his finger and a robe on his back because that's who God is. He is waiting for the prodigals to come home. Let me ask you something. What if the prodigal had come home and there wasn't a parking place for him? I mean, that's what kills me. What if the prodigal would have come home and there wasn't a seat? What if the prodigal came home and there wasn't room in the kids' ministry? What if that would have happened? What if the prodigal came home and there are 4 million people that live within a 30-minute drive time of Parkview's two campuses? And if we add a campus, that'll just go up. 4 million people. What would it have been like if he would have come home to Cuba or Ireland or Indonesia and didn't find a home? That's why I do this. That's why I'm standing on this diving board. That's why I hope you'll join me. Here's my story from David today. I love David. He's probably my favorite character. You know, there's the whole Goliath thing and the lion and the bear and and the smallest, the last child, but the, the man that God looked into and saw his heart and God chooses the things that are on the inside and he's a man after God's own heart and he screws up more royally than anybody probably in history and yet he still comes back and he is still a man after God's own heart. And, and the, what I love, the story you don't know about is the story of David raising funds for the temple because th- I relate to this now, I'm getting older. And in David's older days, he started thinking about the future and, and he woke up one morning and he thought, Gosh, I live in this palace, but God is in a tent because they they were in the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant was in a tabernacle that they moved around when the children of Israel were out uh, in the the wilderness. And they they still had God in the tabernacle. There was no temple for God. And David said, I'm going to build a temple. And God said, well, you know what? I appreciate your enthusiasm, but that's not going to happen because there's too much blood on your hands. I want your son to build me a temple. And David, rather than being discouraged... David said, well, okay, then I'm going to raise the funds for it so that when Solomon comes along, he'll have a very easy time. First Chronicles 29. King David said to the whole assembly, the task is great because the palatial structure is not for man, but it's for God. 
With all my resources, I provided for the temple of God. And he lists all the things that, that the government, basically, as king, that he's going to appropriate for the temple. And then he says, besides that, in my devotion to the temple, I now give personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple from the government. Now, it says, who is willing to do a cannonball with me today? That's the original Hebrew in here. You don't know that, but it is. Who is willing to do a cannonball with me today? That's where we got to. And this is, notice that David said, look, the government's going to help us with this. We got funds over here, but I'm going to give my 401k, okay? He had the Winnebago and it didn't have the bumper sticker that said, I'm spending my kids' inheritance. It said, it was a chariot that said, I'm giving my kids' inheritance, okay? That's what he's doing right here. I love this. Verse 6, then the leaders of the families and all the commanders, they in charge of the king's work gave willingly and they gave towards the temple of God. And the people rejoiced. They rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Freely and wholeheartedly. Pay attention to that. First Chronicles 29 verse 10. So David praised the Lord. Listen to this. Remember David wrote the psalm, so he's pretty good at this. David praised the Lord. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of the Father Israel. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give thanks we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. That's not the best part. This is the best part. Check this verse. And, and then he just kind of sits back with a piece of grass in his teeth and says, But who, who are we? Who am I and who are my people that we should even be able to give as generously as this? Because everything comes from your hand. We have given you only what comes from your hand. Who, who are we that we have the opportunity to build the temple? Who are we that we are the people that get to give generously? Who are we? Here's the problem. Most of the time we get to the point where we're like, okay, how, what's, the, what's the amount that I can give to God and get by? You know, I mean, like the tithe thing. Is that a gross or a net? You know, I mean, where's the line? Because I want, I want God to be happy and, and I want to just get over the line. Very rarely, and I'll just be honest, I'll just use me. Maybe you're different than me. Or very rarely do I come up to the, to the eve of another building project or another mission project or another thing that needs to be done and go, wow, this is awesome. I have another opportunity to give. That's not usually my first reaction. But it ought to be if I get this line. Repeat this after me. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. If I got another opportunity to give, that just means God has blessed me at a point where I am able to do what he wants me to do. And I'm going to have faith that he's going to keep out giving me like I talked about in the first place. And I know that it's true. And I know some of you are sitting there and you're like, man, I don't have a job right now. I, I don't even see how this is going to work. You will be made rich in every way if you have a mustard seed of faith. When you sit down with a good financial planner, the first thing you want to hear is him ask you or her ask you, what is your goal for your money? Am I right? 
If you go to a financial planner and they go, wow, thanks for investing your money with me. I'm going to go buy a new boat. That's not a good sign, is it? Because you want them to handle your money. Well, listen, everything we have, in case you had not figured this out, is God's. Everything came from him. David knew that the future generations were going to be blessed by this, and he knew that he was giving back to God. It was just like when, dads, you know this, when you would take your kids out to buy a Mother's Day present for, the, for your wife, you know, when the kids were small, and you'd take them out, and you, you know, you, you'd help them pick something out, right, and then you'd pay for it, and then they'd go home, and it'd be Mother's Day, and, and, and Denise would open up the presents. She'd go, oh, look what you bought me. And I'd be in the back going, it was me. It was me. I bought it. They didn't buy it but it didn't matter because because that's what it was it was my money but they were just using it that's what it is with us it's God and David admitted to God even when we give to you it's something that's not already it's not ours in the first place the second thing he pointed out was that we're only here for a little bit of time our earth on earth he said our days are like a passing shadow gone so soon without a trace I got my ARP card this week by the way you don't even have to apply for them. They just find you. It's big brother. They just find you and send them to you in the mail. But I want to tell you something. My fellow art people out there, time goes fast, doesn't it? I mean, when you start, you start getting, that's what was going on in David's life. He's like, I'm looking back. I can't imagine how this all happened. And my life is fleeting, and it's only going to be here a little bit more, and I'm going to invest in the future. Our days are just like a, a, a trace. They're, they're going to vanish. And when you leave behind... When you, when you die, you're going to leave everything behind. John D. Rockefeller, I was looking him up this week. Uh, he was worth, in, in $2,011, John D. Rockefeller was worth $318 billion. He was the richest man on the planet and, and may have been, in, in recent history, the richest man who ever lived. He could have bought Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and all those people. He could have single-handedly gotten Greece out of their debt problem. I mean, all by himself, okay? Too bad he's not around. And he was a philanthropist and a great Christian, and that's why, you know, we know about Rockefeller to this very day. But here's the, here's the classic story from Rockefeller. Somebody asked his accountant, they said, hey, after he died, they said, hey, how much did he leave behind? And the accountant said, all of it. It doesn't really matter because you're going to leave behind all of it. That's why we must invest it before we go. Jim Elliott, the martyred missionary in South America, said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And he was killed for believing that. But he's in heaven because he can't lose it. I had a plaque in our house growing up said, Only one life will, t- will soon be passed but only what's done for Christ will last. That, that, that's why when I look back at what I've done and when I, what I've given and I look ahead at what I'm going to give, I realize that I'm giving up something for something I love more. That's what sacrifice is. I realize that the reason that Jesus talked about money so much and He talked about money more than anything else is because He knew that we had a propensity to put our trust in money. And if Jesus thought that 2,000 years ago, what do you think He would say to us now in the richest nation that's ever lived in the history of humanity? He knows that we might have problems trying to trust in our own stuff and in our own mammon. And as a pastor, I've got to be honest with you, I used to struggle with telling people that they ought to be generous and helping people be generous because there's that whole stereotype about the church just being about money and they always want money and that's all they're about. You know what? I don't even care about that. I know some of you came from bad situations and I'm sorry. Listen, don't give the park view. I don't, you know, I, I don't, God doesn't need your money and we don't need your money. You need to be generous. You need to ha- learn to have a generous heart. I need to learn to have a generous heart. That is because where our treasure is, there, that is where our heart is. Jesus said that. 
And of course, you don't have to do it. If you don't want to be a part of this cannonball, you'll still go to heaven. You're not going to be left behind because you didn't give. You know, you, you can sneak into heaven like these guys snuck over the border in Mexico if you want to. Just kind of just kind of sneak in, you know, hey, we're here. Don't tell anybody, okay? You're not saved by works. Please understand that. I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand this, but I want to take you through this commitment card. It's in front of you in the chair back. I want to take you through it for just a second. We're not going to turn them in until the 19th and 20th of November, so don't worry. You don't have to do anything today, but I wanted you to start looking at it. You can see the all-in and making waves on the left side. All-in is what we would have probably done. The making waves is what we're going to be able to do because we believe in God. What I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to take that top number. For those of us that give already, that's my tithe, that top number. That's my tithe. I'm going to take that tithe, and then we're going to add to that, and we're going to make waves. We're going to ask God to to show up in a big way and we're going to sacrifice some things. And we're going to take the doable number up on the top because that's what it's been for us. And you do the same thing. I mean, okay, this is what we would have given over two years. And then you add to what you think God is going to allow you to do. And you multiply that times two. And if that's too much math, the only thing that matters is that bottom box down there. What am, what am I going to give over the next two years? And it makes you think about it. And it makes you plan for it. And I want you to, I want you to think about total radical generosity and sacrifice. There's a gift chart on the back. If you're just wondering how we think we're going to come up with $29.6 million, you can see we're going to need some seven-figure gifts. We're going to need some six-figure gifts. The Harlows are going to be a part of the 25 people that are going to give $75,000 over the next two years to this capital campaign because we believe in what we're doing here. We think this is important, okay? We're going to be a part of this. I want you to know that. Uh, David stood up and said, here's what I'm giving. I'm standing up and telling you this is what I'm giving. And on November 19th and 20th, we want everybody to be here and do Commitment Weekend. One cool story. Our adult son, somebody wrote me this week, is a special needs individual. He's on limited Social Security disability income and works 12 hours a week. The other day he stated that he wants to speak to me seriously about something that was on his heart and he wants to be part of the Cannonball program to make a difference. It was so uplifting of his, to hear his desire to commit to this very worthy cause. Though it may pale in comparison, she wrote, to other commitments, his recognition of making a splash, plus the experience of sacrifice, I think will be likened to the widow's gift. And Jesus said she's given more than all the rest of these. I am confident that through blessing others, he will be blessed even more. And I'm confident as well. Um, I want you to just be in prayer about it. I, I want to ask you to think about jumping in with us. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what God's doing in people's hearts already. Go on the Cannonball Stories website on our, on our website and just read some of the great stuff that's going on. And I know this God's going to bless us. What I, what I want you to do today, and if you're watching this at 11, um, I'm not here. <laughs> uh, I had to get to the airport. It's the only way I could get to Bolivia is on a Sunday night. They don't, they don't fly to Bolivia all the time, believe it or not. Um, I had to get on a Sunday night flight so that I could get down there. I'm going to be on a Friday night flight to get back here. I'll be back here next Saturday. I appreciate all of you praying for all those things to work out. I want to get down and see what my daughter's doing down in Bolivia. If you're watching this at 11 o'clock, if you're here at 9 o'clock right now, this is the time we're going to talk about baptism. Uh, we're going to do that at the end of this service. We're going to finish out this service by doing baptisms. And before I jump into that, let me play you the very, very famous cannonball baptism from America's Funniest Home Videos. Um, do you know, those of you that were part of the great investment uh, in 2008, last time we did a, a generosity initiative, I, I want you to know that since to the beginning of 2008, we have baptized over 2,000 people here. 2,000. 
Um, we're going to do them after this. We're going to do them at the end of this service. We're finishing up right now. Uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, we're going to do the only appropriate song we could possibly do. Stephen Curtis Chapman's Diving In. And uh, we will start doing baptisms. You will go to the back back there and you can start doing that right now if you want to. Single moms, single dads, don't forget we got a gift for you over here. We'll have people praying for you over here. And, uh, and we're going to do this right now if you want to go back and get ready to jump in. And if you're here today and you're thinking, wow, I didn't come prepared for this, guess what? we got a pl- plastic trash bag we can give you to put over your car seat. It's 60 degrees outside. You can go home wet, okay? It, it's, it's not that hard of a commitment. I want you to think about doing this right now. Uh, two quick stories about baptism, and, I'll, and we'll jump in. One was from Kids Connection. A couple of weeks ago, they gave out Jesus tattoos to, uh, to every, all the kids, and one of our school teachers said, wrote me and said, you know what, I put the Jesus tattoo on, and then I, I took it to school the next day, and it was still on my arm. And she said, I noticed that sometimes I was walking around, and it was a cool conversation starter, and sometimes I was hiding it, like from my bosses and from other people. She said, I went home and it was a real epiphany for me. I had to decide if I was really going to do this or not, if I'm really going to be this person or not. So she said, I went on the Internet and ordered enough Jesus tattoos for every day of school for the rest of the school year. And I decided I'm going to have a Jesus tattoo on my arm every day for the rest of the school year. And I thought, you know what, that is what this is, okay? Jesus didn't ask you to get a tattoo. He asked you to jump in and get baptized. He asked you to do something public to declare your love and your allegiance for Him. And if you haven't done that yet, we want to do it right now. Um, the second story was uh, somebody actually wrote me this and said, you know what, I love analogies. Um, here's, the, here's the analogy I came up with. Two people fall in love, they accept each other in love, they get engaged, and then they get married. And they show the, the world that they're married with their wedding room. And the way he said that I believe a believer shows their love for the one who loves us most is through baptism, an outward expression of our love for Jesus, our future groom. God is good. And then he said, hopefully we will be as excited about the baptisms as Jesus is. And I thought, well, that's a good point. Because in Luke chapter 15, my favorite chapter in the Bible, it says, in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I hope we're excited about it today. But there's no way we're as excited as what's going on in heaven with the things that are happening. And if you haven't done this, think about doing it right now. And if you're praying and thinking about Cannonball, this is why we do what we do. Let's pray. God, I pray for those, especially at the 11 o'clock service who are listening to me right now. And um, I pray that that their hearts will be touched, that they will come forward and know that Casey's going to be in the tub and and we're going to have these things going and we're going to be ready for them and we will baptize until until they quit coming and we're going to be here all day. And I I just pray for them right now, for their hearts that you'll be with them. And I I pray for us right now as we're doing this that you'll just help us to, to listen to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you obeyed in baptism even though you didn't even need to you just did it to fulfill righteousness thank you for the example of the death and the burial and the resurrection and i pray that you'll be with us as we watch this and as we do this right now thank you for this amazing moment that's about to happen in jesus name i pray